The Lord be with you. The Holy Spirit came down from heaven to teach us and lead us into truth. Alleluia. We greet you this Pentecost Sunday here in the nave of Marsh Chapel. The power and presence of the Holy Spirit in our midst, we greet you. Whether you are present here, whether you are listening live on WBUR 90.9 FM throughout New England, or over internet signals at WBUR.org around the world, welcome this Pentecost Sunday, this celebration of the birthday of the Church. Our Dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, has, is away this week and looks forward to greeting you next Sunday. My name is Brother Larry Whitney. I have the privilege of serving as University Chaplain for Community Life here at Marsh Chapel. Let us stand as we are able in the praise of God.
Let us pray. Almighty God, on this day you open the way of eternal life to every race and nation by the promised gift of your Holy Spirit. Shed abroad this gift throughout the world by the preaching of the gospel, that it may reach to the ends of the earth. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Dear friends, on this Pentecost Sunday, the Holy Spirit has much truth yet to lead us into. We live in a broken world, and we participate in the world's brokenness. We meditate and confess our sins and our brokenness as the choir sings the Kyrie. Beloved, if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues, as a fire, appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages, as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. At this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? 
And how is it that we hear, each of us, in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own language, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not all drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, and I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word of the Lord. Please join me in reading verses from Psalm 104 responsively with the antiphon. 
how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Yonder is the sea, great and wide. Creeping things innumerable are there, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan that you formed to sport in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles? Who touches the mountains and they smoke? I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Now please rise as you are able for the singing of our Gloria Patri and the reading of the gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John, chapter 15, verses 26 through 27, and chapter 16, verses 4 through 15. Glory to you, O Lord. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who comes from the Father, he will testify on my behalf. You also are to testify, because you have been with me from the beginning. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. 
Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father and you will see me no longer. About judgment, because the ruler of this world has been condemned. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Norman Rockwell could have painted the scene. Two parents and a child at the dining table, hands held, heads bowed, thanksgiving, for home, for family, for food. At the end of the prayer, the parents say a solemn Amen. Then, with gusto, verve, and vigor, the child enunciates, Elmo! Now, for most parents, this might be cause for amusement or even delight. But when one of the two parents is a priest, the thought that immediately crosses the mind is, Oh dear, what will the congregation think? Upon further reflection, however, there are certainly far worse models of God roaming around in human psyches than that of the soft, red, furry, Sesame Street character, Elmo. Perhaps this episode might even make a good sermon illustration. To be sure, Elmo wins the Sweetheart Award on Sesame Street. Big Bird is anxious. Grover is inept. Cookie Monster is fixated. And Oscar the Grouch is, well, a grouch. Elmo is sweet. Elmo wants everyone to be kind to one another. Elmo asks forgiveness when responsible for something going awry. Elmo is deeply attentive to relationships and feelings and the well-being of everyone in the neighborhood. Elmo assiduously avoids pronouns, speaking exclusively in the third person. Today is Pentecost, the celebration of the arrival of the Holy Spirit 50 days after Easter and the birthday of the Church. The liturgical color of the Holy Spirit, 
is red. Is not Elmo, the red Muppet, very much the embodiment of what God the Spirit is for us? The Holy Spirit is the comforter who reconciles and renews, and the advocate who attends to the building up of the community of the church. Our poor, soiled, broken world is desperately in need of such reconciliation and renewal. Our world in which a train crashes, quenching the lives of eight and derailing the lives of hundreds. Our world in which felons on Wall Street seek to impoverish instead of enrich their clients, saying that if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Our world in which radical Islamists rape women and children in the name of God in order to produce more radical Islamists. Our world in which the president of a university cannot even bear to look at, let alone shake the hand of, a graduating student because she carries a mattress. Yes, we desperately need an advocate and a comforter. Of course, all of these situations and the very predicament of the human condition, if we are being honest with ourselves, are hardly unambiguous. Ambiguity makes the ministry of the Holy Spirit hard to discern. It makes the gospel, according to Elmo, hard to apply. How, for example, are we to balance kindness with justice? How can we ask forgiveness when doing so requires admitting culpability, which could get us sued? How are we to attend to relationships, to the feelings and the well-being of all in our community, when our own feelings and well-being are far from secure? How are we to speak when seemingly any word we might say will inevitably offend, hurt, or otherwise piss off someone. Human life is ambiguous. Consider Michael Brown, who was shot and killed by police officer Darren Wilson. Michael was unarmed. Michael was black. Michael's family said he was a good man. Michael stole cigarillos and shoved a store clerk. Michael was wrestling with an experience of the divine, and his rap lyrics revealed his struggle to reconcile an experimentum tremendum at fascinans. Consider Eric Garner, who died in a chokehold by police officer Daniel Pantaello. Eric was unarmed. Eric was black. Eric's friends described him as a gentle giant and a neighborhood peacemaker. Police approached Eric on suspicion of his selling loose cigarettes that had not been taxed. Eric was unable to work as a horticulturalist due to health problems. Consider Freddie Gray, who was arrested and placed in the back of a police van under the supervision of six police officers. And by the time he arrived at the police station, he was dead. 
Freddie was arrested for carrying a small knife. Freddie was black. Freddie was remembered at his funeral as loving, caring, and respectful. Freddie had been involved in 20 criminal court cases at the time of his death. Freddie was a childhood victim of lead poisoning. Three ambiguous lives. But if living an ambiguous life is a crime punishable by death, then who among us can be saved? In addition to the plague of ambiguity, the human condition is also plagued by the inability to cope with ambiguity. Just as Cookie Monster fixates on cookies, we human beings fixate on the worst parts of one another and reduce each other to those parts. Much of the focus on the personal lives of Michael, Eric, and Freddie in the media fixated on their criminal pasts and the criminal circumstances that caused them to encounter the police. In most cases, these three men were reduced to being criminals, clearly thugs one and all, and there can be nothing ambiguous about a thug. This fixation is only exacerbated by the projection and transference of the taken-for-granted criminality of black persons onto each and every black life and black body, even as white lives benefit from the projection and transference of the taken-for-granted competence, integrity, and nobility of white persons onto each and every white body. Any perceived fault, no matter how inconsequential, makes a black person a criminal, while white privilege covers a multitude of sins. Reduced to criminality, Michael, Eric, and Freddie, among so many others, have been cast as monsters. Their faults have been taken as constitutive of their whole being— Regardless of any good they might have done in their lives, regardless of the love they might have shared with family and friends, regardless of the circumstances they may have endured, the sum total of their lives is assigned the label of monster. Now a monster is an aberration, a sign of something deeply wrong with the world. Monsters are evil. Monsters are morally deformed. Monsters do not belong, cannot belong, must never belong, because their very being is incompatible with the goodness of the world and the moral order. It is under this banner of rooting out and destroying monsters that millions of black men have been disappeared from American society. The New York Times got their reporting wrong here. They reported that there are 1.5 million missing black men. Further, they report that more than one out of every six black men who today should be between 25 and 54 years old have disappeared from daily life.
The problem is not with their statistics. It is with their rhetoric. They make it sound like there is no cause for these absences or that these black men simply disappeared of their own volition. Poof. No! Here, for once, it is necessary and right to use the passive voice. These black men have been disappeared. They did not disappear all on their own. Their disappearance was done to them. Because they were identified as monsters, they were killed or incarcerated. It is convenient for us in northern North America to think that the phenomenon of the disappeared is a result of the metaphysical realism of Latin America. On this weekend when Oscar Romero is beatified, we are attentive to the pervasive plague of disappeared persons throughout most of the 20th century in Latin America. As it turns out, the phenomenon is homegrown as well. You too! Are part monster. You too have monstrous parts of yourself. We all do. Boston College philosopher Richard Carney notes that the English words hostility and hospitality share a common root in the Latin word hostis, which in turn has the ambivalent meaning of either enemy or host. What hostility and hospitality have in common is that they are both possible responses to strangers, to others, to those we have not encountered before, to those we cannot account for, to those we do not understand. Hospitality assumes the best, but is prepared for the worst. Whereas hostility assumes the worst, and cannot comprehend anything else. We have the capacity for both, for hostility and for hospitality within each of us. Right now, Oster Grunig is on trial for 300,000 counts of accessory to murder for his activities during the Shoah, the Holocaust. This may very well be the last trial of a Holocaust-era Nazi. How is it that so many people could be convinced to participate in such cruelty, such inhumanity, such systemic evil, such gross monstrosity? Turns out that we all can. We are all susceptible to the ideas that if others are doing it, it must be okay. That if an authority is ordering it, that it must be okay. That we are not the monsters, they are. And that the monstrousness of others justifies our own monstrousness in return. The conviction that we are not, in fact, monsters creates the need to somehow cope with the experience of monstrosity in life. A typical human response is to create a scapegoat. In ancient Greece, a criminal or poor person was cast out of society in appeasement of natural disasters, which were taken as signs of divine displeasure. Some things never change, it seems. In ancient Israel, the sins of the Israelites were ceremonially placed on an actual goat, which was then driven out into the desert. 
Both cases are examples of the human inability to cope with our own monstrosity, and so the need to cast blame elsewhere. Here in the city of Boston, we know something about monsters. For the past five months, our city has relived the monstrous actions and reactions of the 2013 marathon bombings. We have collectively empathized with the pain and suffering of the victims of that day, including Boston University graduate student Lu Lingzi. We have explored the motivations, influences, and acts of Zokar Tsarnaev, who was convicted of 30 counts stemming from those events and sentenced to death for six of them. In the coming weeks, Dean Hill will have more to say about Tsarnaev and his sentence. But today we must ask whether sentencing him to death or even to life imprisonment without any pretense of rehabilitation has as much to do with his being a monster as it does with our own need to insist that we are not monsters. Surely a central function of scapegoating, of shifting the locus of the monstrous, is to assure that monstrosities reside elsewhere and not with us. No, we are not monsters. We have killed all the monsters. No, we are not monsters. We have a special place for the monsters over there. We are not monsters because we did not do anything as bad as what he did. We are good. He is evil. No ambiguity. End of story. Do not forget, friends, that the Holy Spirit can be monstrous too. The Holy Spirit is not scaled to human life, to human interests, to human desires, to human ideas and concepts. In explaining the chaos resulting from the arrival of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, Peter identified the coming of the Spirit with the words of the prophet Joel. And I will show portents in the heaven above and in signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Our psalm affirms that the creation of all things is accomplished in the sending forth of the Holy Spirit, including the creation of the Leviathan, a great sea monster often associated with Satan himself. Contrary to calling us to cast out the monsters from our midst, the Holy Spirit calls us to convert hostility to hospitality and to recognize God in the playful sporting of the Leviathan. The vision of God as wild, capricious, and dangerous is hardly comfortable. The conversion of hostility to hospitality requires resisting some very basic human impulses in order to attend to the unruly, uncouth, disruptive, monstrous presence of God. Christian faith, in fact, teaches that the inability to resist the impulse to hostility is sinful and moreover is the very sinfulness that resulted in Jesus' crucifixion, the crucifixion of the unruly, uncouth, disruptive, monstrous incarnation of God.
but we have not learned. We continue to fail to convert hostility to hospitality. We persist in the sinfulness of hostility that cannot embrace the gospel call to kindness, forgiveness, attentiveness to relationships, and the well-being of others. And so on this Feast of Pentecost, I ask you, Shall we then also crucify the Holy Spirit? The Gospel of John proclaims that the Holy Spirit will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because they do not believe in me, about righteousness because I am going to the Father and you will see me no longer, about judgment because the ruler of this world has been condemned. In spite of the presence of the Holy Spirit, we persist in sin, unrighteousness, and judgment. We continue to cast others into the totalizing category of monsters while failing to recognize our own capacity and actual practice of monstrosity. Just as human sinfulness, unrighteousness, and judgment resulted in the crucifixion of Jesus, is it unreasonable to wonder if we are not in our persistence in hostility, participating even now in the crucifixion of the Holy Spirit. For much of Christian history, the Holy Spirit has been identified with the church, largely on the basis of the passage from the Acts of the Apostles read today. Theologically, the idea is that the Holy Spirit calls the church into being to enact God's ongoing work in the world. The problem is that too often the church becomes convinced that the logic of this theological view works in both directions, such that not only does the Spirit call the church to enact the work of God, but also whatever work the church does is therefore the will of God. Anathema! The church is just as capable of distorting rejecting, ignoring, and even inventing what the Holy Spirit calls it to be and do as any other flawed human institution. Thankfully, quite a few people have come to realize that this is just what too many churches have done and continue to do. Just last week, the Pew Research Center on Religion and Public Life reported that the percentage of the population who do not identify with any particular denomination has grown by over 3.5% in the last seven years, from 12.1% in 2007 to 15.8% in 2014. The hypocrisy of too many churches in claiming to know the will of God who is a saint and who is a monster, is increasingly incredible and intolerable to many. Thanks be to God. Are these folks giving up on God? Perhaps. But I would venture to guess that it is more likely that they are giving up on the flawed human institutions that hypocritically claim to have a handle on God and attempt to tell the Holy Spirit that she may blow where she wills so long as it is through the eye of their needle. Churches, too, can be and sometimes are monsters. 
The good news of Jesus Christ for us today, the gospel according to Elmo. Do not forget that Elmo, too, is a monster. If you look on his Wikipedia page under Species, Elmo is listed as a Sesame Street Muppet monster. Like the call of the Holy Spirit, the gospel of, according to Elmo, to be kind, to forgive, to attend to relationships and the well-being of others, to convert hostility to hospitality, to confess that we are usually wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment, is monstrous good news. From the perspective of human brokenness, ambiguity, and inability to cope therewith, this good news must seem a monster. Shall we crucify Elmo? Shall we nail his furry little hands and furry little feet to a cross as monstrous human sinfulness brought about the crucifixion of Jesus, whose gospel was just as unruly, uncouth, disruptive, and monstrous as Elmo's? For my daughter's sake, I pray we do not. Shall we crucify the Holy Spirit? Repent! The kingdom of God is at hand, and we are wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because we do not believe Jesus. About righteousness because Christ ascended to the Father and we see him no longer. About judgment because the ruler of this world is condemned. Convert your hostility to hospitality. The gospel according to Elmo. And the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
You may be seated. The Apostle Paul noted, we should devote ourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So let us come personally and collectively to prayer, standing, sitting, kneeling, or however the Spirit moves you. The call to prayer is hymn 473, Lead Me, Lord. creation, great is the work of your hand. We bow down in worship before you, Lord, our maker, and we praise you for in your wisdom you created a world of diversity. Abide with us so that we are able to recognize that each of us, no matter how different, is a product of your creation. Guide us to accept and embrace each other regardless of race, socioeconomic status, political affiliation or sexual orientation. Help us to concentrate on how our differences complement each other rather than how they divide us. Instead of proudly comparing ourselves to others, we pray that we humbly consider how we can work together in service to you. Daily, we are blessed with your goodness and mercy. We marvel at the soaring magnificence of mountain ranges and the deep depths of canyons the spacious skies, the calming pastures of green and nourishing fields of grain, the cool, fresh, sparkling waters and the cycle of the seasons. We praise you, God, for these are just a few of your wonders. Thank you for the beauty of your creation and all that is within it. We pray that we remember our responsibility to take care of it. Help us to live responsibly. We remember all who sacrificed and fought for the freedoms we have today. For their courage, faith, and hope, we are thankful. We pray for those who continue to fight injustice, disease, poverty, and ignorance in this nation and around the world. Give us all the courage and conviction to join the battle. Gracious God, forgive our sins. Abide with us, Holy Spirit, and enter our hearts so that we may be humble, gentle, patient, loving, and peaceful. Give us all the courage and love to forgive others. Holy Spirit, Advocate, abide with us. For in the midst of illness, stress, and worry, we remember that God alone is our rock and salvation. For all who are in despair, we pray for your peace. Lord, 
hear our prayer, for we pray to you in the name of the one who was sent by the Father to empower us with the Holy Spirit, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And now together we pray the prayer from our Lord. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. peace of God be always with you. We'd like to take this time to welcome you once again to Marsh Chapel, a sanctuary amongst a city, a place of peace in times of chaos and stress. We hope that you find a home here wherever you are on your spiritual journey. This is a great place to make friends and continue your walk. We would love to get to know you better and help you get to know one another better, and a great way of doing that is by filling out your information in the red books towards the center aisle of each pew, so please pass those along. You are always welcomed here, and we'd like to update you on a few events and announcements for Marsh Chapel. Directly following the service this morning will be refreshments downstairs. This is a great time for fellowship and coffee and to greet our preacher, so please join us then. Marsh Chapel is now operating on a summer schedule, which means that our regular weekly student programs are on hiatus until September. However, we welcome you to our Sunday morning worship, which will continue throughout the summer, and we look forward to our summer preacher series on the beloved community, which begins at the end of June. I would also mention that if you are in need of prayer or at a particular difficult time in your life or doing something that involves a serious discernment, Summer is a great time to reach out to a chaplain for one-on-one -on -one conversation and pastoral care. All of our contact information can be found on the website. More information and, e and events can be found on our website at bu.edu chapel. And now as we beckon the ushers forward, let us be reminded that it is a gift to be a giver. We have an opportunity to practice the ancient sacred discipline of Christian generosity as the choir lifts us up in song. Won't you please be as generous as you are able?
Spirit, come upon us in joy and delight as we celebrate this glorious feast of your coming. With happiness and gratitude, we offer these gifts for your ministry in this community and beyond. May all who call upon you be saved from selfishness and filled with the God-honoring habits of generous giving. Amen. beloved let us remember that life is short and we do not have too much time to gladden the hearts of those who walk the way with us so on this pentecost sunday may the spirit empower you to be swift to love and to make haste to be kind amen 